It is great to be with you this morning. I'm so, so excited that you're here. You know, for the last few weeks as a church, we've been immersed in this teaching series beyond Friday Night Lights. And we've been using the, the pageantry and the power of, of high school football to talk about the, the power of community. And we've examined the fact that, that we're created in the image of God with a soul-deep need to connect with each other in, in ways that even football, even football can't fully satisfy. E even high school football, as, as awesome as it is, particularly if you live in this area, man, let's just admit to ourselves, we are spoiled rotten for high school football in here. We're like, well, of course our guys go on to play college and pro. That's just what we do around here. <laughs> well, this is called Texas. And, and today, we're going to graduate from high school. We're, we're going to move into college football for a very, very specific reason. And that is that our beloved University of Texas Longhorns last night <laughs> became one of the rare schools to ever win 900 football games. If you ever wonder whether or not God's a Longhorn, just look at the burnt orange sunset, would you please? My point in telling you this is that last night was a huge, huge win for the Longhorns. And I don't want to, listen, they played really, really well. Offense, defense, even our special teams blocked a field goal and returned it for a touchdown. It was unbelievable. And I don't want to take anything away from the Longhorns, but I have a theory. I think I know exactly why Texas beat the Trojans of the University of Southern California last night. Now, before I tell you my theory, you need to understand I am not an armchair quarterback. I'm not one of these guys who's like, well, I don't know what's wrong. I think Ellinger needs to play better in the fourth quarter. That's not my bag. Those guys who, who act like they were former All-Americans in middle school, that, that, is not, <laughs> that is not the way to behave. But I do have a theory, and I think that those of us who go by the name American and are happy that, that Texas won last night, we have one person to thank. I think we have this guy right here to thank for Texas winning the game last night. Now, I'm glad that his face is obscured by his costume, and I want you to understand this is in no way a judgment call of any type. This is just an observation of common sense fact. There is no way, no way that a grown-up can show up to a football game dressed like that and help his team. <laughs> there, there is nothing about that that is a help to his team or to anyone else around him. But I do appreciate the commitment. I, I, do, I do appreciate the fact that he was willing to wear his team colors in a hostile environment. You know, all of us who, who are fans of any particular team, we all, we all show our true colors by showing our, well, our true colors, right? We, we wear our team, you know, maybe in a hat or maybe in our shirt or pants or our foam finger that we wave around at the game, whatever. It's part of being a fan that we wear our team's colors, that we show people whose side we're on, even if we're in a hostile environment. And it's to that end that this week, as we continue the series beyond 
Friday Night Lights. We're going to talk about team colors. What is it that we, we put on in order to show whose side we're on, whether we're in friendly environments or hostile environments? Who are we as the community of Christ, as the team of faith? What is it that we, that we look like? What do our true colors reveal about who we are? Because the fact is that in order to be a part of this community, of the, the family of faith, the community of Christ, in order to be a part, it, it's imperative that our lives look different. That, that when people see us, they see, first of all, the character and personality of Christ himself, but also that they see a difference in the way that we behave because of the things that we believe. And that those things take root, and they, they make us distinct and unique in all the world. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor who opposed the Nazi regime from the very beginnings of their rise to power in pre-war Germany. And once the war broke out, Bonhoeffer was arrested and imprisoned and ultimately was hanged in a German concentration camp for his opposition to the Third Reich. But before his murder, Bonhoeffer was a prolific theologian and writer who wrote extensively on the practical implications of the gospel, the, the good news story of Jesus. And one of his primary themes, one of the primary areas of study that Bonhoeffer wrote extensively on was this thing called community. He, his, his treatise on this is called Life Together. And this is what Bonhoeffer writes about the church. Take a look at this quote. He says that Christian community is not an ideal that we have to realize, but rather a reality that is created by God in Christ in which we may participate. Bonhoeffer says that the church is not something that we have to materialize, that, that we have to bring into fruition. It already exists by the sovereign hand of a good and gracious God. But it is by his grace that you and I may participate in this community of faith, that we get to be a part of what this looks like. Now, over the last few weeks, we established that, that community just means very simply a group of people who are committed to one another and to a cause greater than themselves. A group of people committed to a cause greater than themselves and, by the way, to each other. The Bible says that we are the body of Christ. We are members of the body, and we all belong to one another. That's what Bonhoeffer is getting at here. He's explaining to us that, that we are to be a distinct group. The word church is a really interesting word. It's become so common that we might have never heard or might have forgotten what it really means. The word church, if you go back to the New Testament, it means a called-out body, a group that is called out for a specific purpose. So it is, it is a unique and distinct group that is called out for a distinct purpose, called out from the world, from the common for the divine, for the holy purposes of a good and gracious God. And so in the time that we've got left today, I want us to take a look at, at what that looks like. What is that that really mean, because 
Community is hard work. How, how many of you know that the connecting and being connected to somebody takes hard, hard work? Can I just see a show of hands if you know that? Every person who's married ought to have their hand in the air. Now, let me say this. It is absolutely worth it. Throw the W on community. But, it, but it's, it's hard work. You know, I bet most of us probably, by virtue of where we live geographically and where we are right now, most of us probably could not pick out on a map the community of Rosetto, Pennsylvania. Rosetto, Pennsylvania. It's not exactly a household town name. But Rosetto is interesting because it has been the subject of multiple medical and sociological and demographic studies over the years. Going all the way back to the 1950s, it was discovered that in this particular town of Rosetto, which is largely Italian-American immigrants, in this town of Rosetto, there is a decidedly, noticeably lower incidence of heart rate in Rosetto than in any other community in that area or really across our country. And so this got sociologists, it got doctors curious about why that was, and they began studying things like cholesterol levels, tobacco use, food, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And after all of the studies were done, the only difference between Rosetto and other communities across our country after accounting for all of these variables was the sense of community that they felt with one another, that their belongingness to each other as neighbors, as friends, actually gave them better heart health. There's another study of over 181,000 Americans that has shown that loneliness and isolation leads to a 29% increase in heart disease and a 31% increase in stroke. We need community. We need to belong and to connect with each other. And it's against this backdrop that the Bible calls us. It informs us that we have been created for exactly that, for this thing called community. As a matter of fact, in the book of Acts, the Bible describes the very, very beginning of this fledgling community known as the church. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible is describing those first days after Jesus has returned to heaven. In Acts chapter 2, as a matter of fact, the apostle Peter, who just a few weeks before had denied even knowing Christ, who had used profanity to deny that he even knew Jesus, this same Peter preaches a sermon to a throng of people in the city of Jerusalem. And the Bible says something so fascinating about this day. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 41. In Acts 2, verse 41, the Bible says, Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. 3,000. How would you like for your job description to say, that's the goal? That's what every pastor since Peter has come up against. That, that this incredible moment of church growth, this power that happened because Peter stood up, 3,000 people were added to the church. Now, I, I want to take just a quick time out and talk about that because I think it's significant for a couple of reasons that the Bible includes this number. 
3,000. First of all, I think it indicates the, the scope and the size of God's dream, of God's vision for the bride of Christ. That this was never supposed to be just a little regional mom and pop outfit. But that this literally was to do what Jesus said we were supposed to do in Matthew chapter 28 when he said, go into all nations, making new disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. But don't worry, I will be with you even to the ends of the age. This is literally a worldwide movement. This isn't just about your particular high school zone. This isn't a 5A versus a 6A. This is a global enterprise that we are a part of. And I think it's there at the very beginning. But I also think there's something kind of tucked into the facts. The second reason I think this is significant is because you know if 3,000 people were added to their number that day, man, don't you know there were going to be growing pains. If 3,000 people showed up in one spot, and said, we're on the team. I'm guessing that more than a couple might have had differing ideas about what the team was going to look like. As a matter of fact, if you read throughout the book of Acts, there were all kinds of disputes and arguments that arose. There was, there was one moment when the non-Jewish believers felt like their widows were being discriminated against in the distribution of food. There was another argument about whether or not non-Jewish new believers had to become Jewish on the way to becoming believers. And, and, you know, if, if, you've ever, if you've ever thought about, I don't, man, I want to be a believer, and I am a believer, but I don't want to be baptized, just keep in mind, in the New Testament church, their argument was not about baptism. Their argument was about circumcision. They're like, if you want to be a real believer, you have to be circumcised. I'm like, I'll be baptized. <laughs> now, they, they resolved this issue. They, they got it taken care of by the humility, by the leadership of the apostles, led by the Holy Spirit of God, but... There was a lot going on there. I love it when people say, man, I just want to be a part of the New Testament church. Be careful what you ask for. Because Jerusalem, man, they had their issues. Look at the church in Corinth. Paul had to go to Corinth and say, hey, guys, I love you, but let's not have prostitutes in our worship service, okay? That's just as a little general rule. We Christians don't do that. So when you say the New Testament church, be careful what you pray for. But you see just at the very beginning there's this momentum, there's this thing happening. As a matter of fact, the Bible says also that when Peter preached this sermon, that the multitudes who were there from all corners of the earth, they heard Peter's sermon in their own language. The Holy Spirit of God moved supernaturally so that the people of God could proclaim the purpose of God there in that moment. And it was there that the church was ignited and took shape and took form. And then the Bible goes on and it explains how they went about wearing their team colors. What, what it was that they did in order to show which team they were on. Look in verses 42 and following. Verse 42, the Bible says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. I want you to turn to your neighbor and with passion and enthusiasm because Texas won last night and the Lord is in this place. Tell your neighbor, get your devotion on. Okay, I, I love you too much to lie to you. 
That was terrible. <laughs> Say it like you mean it. Tell them. Get your devotion on. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. Man, get your devote. Now, devote is a great word, to be devoted or to make a devotion. It means that you make a vow or a promise in sacrifice to something. You make a vow or a promise in sacrifice to something. This is biblical and it's just practical. Think about marriage. When you get married, you devote yourself to the other person. You make a vow or a promise, and you best be backing it up with sacrifice. Somebody help me preach. Amen. I'm just, they, yeah. It's so funny to me. It's the women who have the courage to shout that amen. You know, it really, every single time. Amen. And the men are like, amen. I, I, and I'm right there with you. That's a whole other series, but we'll move on. To devote means that you make a vow and a promise in sacrifice to something, that you've devoted yourself. It's fascinating when you, when you look at the, the, what the, the new church was devoted to. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to to the apostles' teaching. That means that they were committed to learning everything that they could of sound doctrine, of discovering the reality and the truth of Jesus, that they were committed to it. And we'll see in a minute that they were committed not just like every week or maybe two or three times a month unless they got a better offer, that they were devoted to it daily. They were so hungry for the truth of God because they understood, they understood that what they believed, what they think would determine how they behaved and how they lived. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So if, if, if you're ever in a bind or if you're ever looking for a church home, for a community to belong to, the first thing you look for is a church that is committed to the authority of Scripture, to the unique, God-given, God-inspired nature of His Word that it is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce both marrow and joint to our very souls. That's what the Bible is. And they were devoted to this. They were devoted to accurate teaching, to, to being a part of a community that works diligently to handle the Word of God well. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. Fellowship is a great word. In the original Greek, it's the word koinonia. Koinonia. It's a koinonia, but it's with a K. Koinonia. Say koinonia. Koinonia is most often used in the New Testament as a verb, that we, we fellowship with each other. They were committed to the social aspect of the church. The church, by definition, is social. Social means people. And so we're, we're committed to doing life together. We're committed to going beyond just kind of showing up in a room or in the auditorium or in the temple courts, but we are committed to fellowship. We're committed to connecting. As a matter of fact, this fall, as Emily mentioned earlier during the offering, this fall we're changing the name of our life groups. Our life groups from now on are connect groups for a couple of reasons. Number one, that's what they're for. That's what they do. Second of all, we, we found that, that life groups kind of freak some people out. Like if we say, do you want to be a part of a life group? People are like, 
for life. So we, we've kind of like, we wanted to kind of bring that down a notch, kind of ratchet that down a little bit. And if you go to a connect group and it, and it doesn't click for whatever reason, there are others that you can be a part of, maybe a, a men's or a women's Bible study, whatever the case may be. But, but it's all about this idea of fellowship. That's why children's ministry matters around here. We don't do child care at Lake Hills Church. It's children's ministry. From the first second, an infant comes into our nursery. The first second, we're, we're trying to teach that child that this is a safe place that you want to be. This is a safe place where, where you're cared for, where you're loved. If you get dirty, we'll take care of it. Mom will be fine. She'll be back. But, but we want to build into children's lives, into students' lives, this muscle memory where they're discovering for themselves what it means to be a part of the community of Christ, where they're discovering what it means to have connection with people their own age, where they discover what it means to experience and express, to live in and to live out their faith in community. That, that's, that's why it matters that, that your kids from, from fifth grade and younger are a part of LHC Kids on Sunday morning. That's why it matters that your kids are a part of Crash on Wednesday night from middle school and high school because it's in those environments that they're discovering what it means to be a part of the family of faith. They already know what it's like to be a part of your family. They're there all the time. So help them grow in their faith. Help them discover faith for themselves and be a part of that. It's an incredible, incredible thing. This fellowship is something to devote ourselves to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to meals, to meals. We, we talked about this a little bit last week, but there's something spiritual that happens when we break bread together. There's something relational that happens when we sit down and have a meal together, especially if it's good. If you have a bad meal together, you've got a shared experience and you've suffered together. But if you have a good meal together, you know, that's a powerful bonding experience. But, but it's, not just, it's not just eating for sustenance sake. It's also, it's also communion. It's also when we, like we did today here in this room, when we took the bread and we took the cup together, communion. That word communion comes from the same word koinonia. It's that communion of the community, unioned, united together around the very event which is the hub, the center of our community. That is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we take that time, when we make that time, we take the bread and we remember that Jesus willingly gave up his body to be broken for us. For us and for us. When we remember that he willingly went to the cross and gave up his body and shed his blood, and that the blood of Christ covers our sins spiritually, and that it is that blood and that blood alone which facilitates the forgiveness of God, the ultimate sacrificial lamb, and that he rose again from the grave. And when we celebrate that, when we commemorate that together, we're united in that. We're, we're bound together by that. So they were devoted to these things. They were devoted 
to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to meals, and they were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to bringing heaven into earth. That's what prayer does. Prayer is, as Jesus said, you know, give us this day our daily bread, that's the meal, and that it might be done on earth as it is in heaven. That, that we're devoted to praying for each other. Man, when, when you know a friend's struggle, when you share in their hurt, like we talked about last week, when we grieve with those who grieve and we celebrate with those who celebrate, when those things happen and we pray together, it, that, that forges a bond that, that is not easily broken. You know, you, you may ask a friend at work, how you doing? You may see somebody in the cafeteria at school and go, what's up? But when you've got a, a group around you that you know prays for you by name, by issue, that's worth devoting yourself to. That, that's worth making a vow or a promise in sacrifice to that group. And, and you, you start to understand that, that your life ought to radiate out of that community. You understand that that's going to be your anchor. That's going to that's be the core that you hold on to when, when the winds blow and the rains fall. That's going to be your community if you devote yourself to it. If you just kind of dip your toe in, if you just kind of play at going to church, you miss so, so much of the blessing. You miss so, so much of the anchoring and the mooring of praying at being the church, at being everything that Jesus has called us to be. And, and that's what they were getting at here. Look at verses 44 and 45. It says, all the believers met together in one place and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and their possessions and they shared the money with those in need. This has been one of the most misunderstood verses in the entire New Testament for about 2,000 years, give or take. They were communists. There it is right there. They were communists. Socialists. There it is. No, they weren't. They were devoted followers of Christ. That they realized that everything they had was from God. And if God wanted them to use it to help other people, they would use it to help other people. There's always been this, this material connection to the spiritual purposes of God. Always. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, that's not you. But if you are a Christ follower, here's the reality. Our chips are already all in. We, we've already said, I will follow you with everything I have. We, we start with the tithe. That, that's where it begins. But, but we always realize there's a way that we can help, and we can always do more together than we can do individually. So it, this has always been a, a hallmark of the family of faith and the community of Christ. Verse 46 they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared meals with great joy and generosity, 
all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Isn't that interesting that we, we started with 3,000 were added to their number that day. And this section of scripture concludes with the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. See, the church is already a unique entity. It is a really unique community. The church is unique in all the world in that it, it is the community that is specifically designed not for itself. The church is not here for the church. The church is for here for those who are not yet here. The church is here because there are people that we know who don't yet know how extravagantly God loves them. And this idea of community is actually, actually our greatest calling card. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples, my followers, if you love one another. If you're really connected to each other, if you're really devoted to each other, then people will know you're my followers. They'll, they'll see it in you. They'll see it in, in what you do and how you live and where you go and how you talk. And it's this, this incredible, incredible picture. They were devoted to these things. These were their, their team colors. You remember my man at the Texas game last night? Remember, remember the guy with the, the cape and the, the helmet? Let's, let's, can we bring that picture back up? Part of me hopes that this is the image you remember from this sermon. Part of me. But I, I alluded to something at the very beginning. I want to show you something. This, I, I just noticed this last night or this morning early. Look at his shoes. USC colored vans. You don't get more committed than that. Well, okay, maybe the helmet with the plume is more committed, but the vans are a nice touch. On one hand, I mean, I, I, this is funny, and, and he was trying to be funny. We're not making fun of anyone at all. And wouldn't you love to have a stadium full of people that devoted to your team? Wouldn't you love to have people who were willing to say, this is my team. I'm willing to go all in, baby. It's interesting that this picture is kind of the image for the morning because the Apostle Paul said that, that God uses the foolishness of our faith to prove itself wise, that, that we are to be foolish in the world's eyes because of the light we have received. And so I just, I wonder this morning, how foolish are you willing to be? I don't mean to be the weird Christian, but I mean, how foolish are you willing, are you willing to devote yourself, to make a vow and a promise and to truly sacrifice for the cause of Christ, 
to really and truly schedule and, and orient your week around the reality that is the community of Christ. And to say that this is my core, these are my people, and I will devote myself to the teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I will schedule my kids' extracurricular activities in such a way that they can participate, but also remember the priority of the family of faith and discover and experience for themselves the value and the eternal significance of being the bride of Christ. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment. And in this moment, as a church, we want to invite you. If you're here today and you have never put on the team colors of the family of faith, this may be the exact moment that God has orchestrated and ordered your life to do just that. To decide that, that you're willing to surrender, to submit your life to the only one who will never take advantage of your surrender. If that's you today, we want to give you the opportunity to do exactly that, to respond to the grace initiative of Jesus, to pray a prayer of commitment, of devoting your life to Jesus. You don't have to attend a class or pass a test. You, you can do it right where you're sitting, just right now in your own words by praying and talking to God from your heart to his. Just silently communicating to God and silently saying, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin to you so that I can claim your forgiveness. I want to I put on those teen colors And Jesus, I will follow you from this moment forward with everything that I have. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. I want to ask you just to continue in a moment of prayer for, for just a brief moment with your heads bowed. If you just prayed that prayer and you meant it, this is the biggest moment of your life. And it's, it's too eternally significant and important to just leave it here in these seats. You're surrounded by people who want to help. And so I want to ask you to do just a couple of things to, to help us help. If you would... 
take the program that you got when you walked in today. Just right now, right where you are, and open it up. You'll notice inside there's a connect card there. If you will, just start filling that card out. And about a third of the way, maybe a little halfway down, there's a place to indicate I committed my life to Christ this week. Once you've completed that card, you can just tear it off at the perforation. If you want to, you can fold it up. And on your way out today, if you would, just hand that to one of our ushers, one of our hosts. I've got that blue LHC logo T-shirt on. And that'll begin the process of a conversation so that we can help in whatever way, at whatever pace works for you. And then second of all, as our heads are bowed for just another moment, if you would, I would want to ask you to raise your hand. If that was your prayer and you prayed to come into the relationship with Christ, your hand in the air stamps this moment for yourself, but also for your church. As I said, this is the reason we exist. And so as a a family, as a church, we honor that. We celebrate that, and as you put your hands down, we put our hands together just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.